Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Yes, uh, we start a new era in uh, audio at Creekside with this funny headset, and I've got to work out what am I going to do with my two hands after being so used to holding a microphone. We're going to read the Bible together now. If you'd like to stretch your legs, feel free, and you can stand while we read. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. So stand if you would like. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this great day you've given us, for the way you've blessed us in Jesus, the physical blessings we enjoy, the spiritual blessings we enjoy. We thank you for this time we have together as your people just to reflect on your word as a congregation. And Lord, we just want to open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to you today and ask that you would teach us and uh, prompt us and speak to us so that we might live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, long weekends are great, aren't they? I hope you're having a good long weekend. One of the uh, fantastic things about my stage of life as a parent with young kids is that my kids are under the impression that I am perfect. They are still at that age. They do not see my weaknesses. They They forget them quickly. They forgive me quickly when I am cross with them. A few quick tickles does the trick. When I come home from work, they greet me with delight. They run with big grins on their faces, happy to see me. It's a great stage of life. And I am very aware of the fact that that will change fairly quickly. And I'm dreading the day when the kids start to be embarrassed by their parents. Uh, I came across a great story of a kid whose dad would come out to wave goodbye to his teenage son each day. And uh, understandably, he became rather embarrassed, the son. And he asked him to stop doing that. And his dad responded in a brilliant way. This is how he responded. And it keeps on going. 
And that's it. What an awesome dad, hey? I bet he learnt a lesson. Today, the message of the Bible to us is not to be afraid to be different. The message of Jesus is that we should stand out. Jesus says he uses two images to describe what we should look like. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What does Jesus mean? You're the light of the world. I think that's pretty obvious, isn't it? You're to be a light shining in darkness, a dispeller of darkness. It's not extremely clear what Jesus meant by you're the salt of the earth. Because in ancient times, salt was used for many things. Uh, A common uh, suggestion is that salt was used as a preservative. So maybe Jesus is saying that we, God's people, should preserve the world from moral decay. Well, that could be. It was used for uh, a preservative. But then again, they didn't use salt in that way awfully much because they didn't eat meat very much unless you were very rich. Uh, Salt was used as a sign of judgment in the Old Testament. Salt was used as a sign of friendship. So which is it? Both. Judgment, friendship. One clue we have in this passage, the obvious one, salt is used to make your food taste nicer. And Jesus does say, if the salt has lost its taste. So maybe it's saying you're to bring out the best in the world. You're you're to uh, increase the flavor in the world, if you like. Luke 14, the parallel passage, Jesus gives another little clue. Salt was used as fertilizer. And there Jesus says, salt is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. So maybe what Jesus is saying is that we are to be the fertilizer. We are to enhance the growth of the work of God. We don't really know at the end of the day But the general point of what Jesus is saying is clear. In both things, Jesus is saying the same thing. You're to be the light of the world. You're to be the salt of the earth. Salt is meant to be salty. If it's not salty, you can throw it out. Salt that has lost its saltiness is no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus says, you're the light of the world, but what good is a light if you put a bucket over the top of it and it doesn't shed any light? It's it's useless. Jesus says, salt should be salty, light should be light, should shed light, Christians should be like Jesus. Let your light shine, verse 16, Jesus says, so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The main point of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous teaching, is that Christians are to be different. Jesus is calling out, calling us out into a different way of living. He's inviting us into a different way of living, and Christians should stand out. Christians should be noticed. Christians are to be salt and light. How are Christians to be different? Sometimes Christians have tried to be different for the sake of being different. A little bit like that father. 
deliberately trying to provoke a response, deliberately trying to get people to notice by adding all sorts of rules and rituals which aren't even in the Bible and looking down their nose at everybody else who doesn't keep these rules and rituals. How is it that Christians are to be different? Well, we saw a glimpse of it last week, didn't we? In the first section of the Sermon on the Mount. How are Christians to be different? Jesus says, this is what my people look like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those people who say and know that they really need God. Blessed are those who mourn. Those people who take their own sins seriously and who enter into the sorrows of other people. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. The persecuted. Mostly Christians, Jesus is is saying you'll stand out for good things. But there are times when we might stand out for being people who are persecuted, we might stand out occasionally for attracting scorn or disregard. I read an article lately, there's been a lot of discussion uh, on the internet about uh, recent studies which show the collapse of nominal Christianity. Uh, The number of people who claim to be Christians, those who are fairly committed Christians, they're, they're standing pretty stable in America. But the percentage of people who are nominal Christians, that is, they say they're Christian, they go to church once or twice a year, but they're not really committed. That is rapidly declining. I read an, art, an article which was just analysing what is it that is provoking a negative response to Christianity amongst these group of people. And this guy, he said, well, it's not the rise of science or not the rise of new atheism. The game changer, he says, is the issue of gay marriage. And he says, for these people and for our modern youth Rising in, uh, growing up in our secular society, this is a moral issue for them. In their mind, it's a moral issue and it's an immoral approach to life to say no to gay marriage. I'm not getting into the gay marriage debate this morning. The simple point I want to make is that people may not understand where we come from as Christians. They may not understand our approach, our understanding And that they may actually view us and consider us as immoral. We'll be different. Last year, an actor, Chris O'Dowd, said he used to just be tolerant of religious people, but not anymore. He says he believed that the days are coming in which if you say you are religious, well, that's just like saying you are racist. And he says, the days will come when we will start telling people to stop being religious in the same way that you'll stop people, you'll say, stop being racist. Christians sometimes might stand out for the wrong reasons, for people's scorn or disregard. The overwhelming message of the Sermon on the Mount, though, is that we're to stand out for people who have a radically different way of living, a radical different way of love. The rest of chapter 5, Jesus talks about amazing radical standards of love, amazing relationships in which anger and forgiveness 
is just radically different. A radical standard of sexual purity. A radical standard of faithfulness in our marriages. A radical way of integrity in the way we speak. A radical love which we have for enemies. People who are different to us. We'll come to chapter 6 and Jesus says you're to be different in the way you pray. Your prayer lives are to be completely different from the mumbo-jumbo type prayer of the pagans. Jesus says you're to have a radically different motivation for everything that you do that could be classed religious. Jesus says you're to have a radically different attitude to money. You get the point? This little paragraph we're looking at today, it sums up what the whole Sermon on the Mount is to be about. It's about you're to stand out, you're to be different in every way of your life. You ought to be light in darkness, you ought to be a city on a hill, you ought to stick out like a sore thumb. But then there's the elephant in the room type question, the uncomfortable question. What if I'm not very different? What if I'm a Christian and I go to work and if I'm to be perfectly honest, most of the non-Christian people in my workplace are just as generous as I am, just as emotionally healthy as I am, just as fair-minded, just as truthful and loving, but they just don't do the church thing. Occasionally there's a statistic which is quoted around and people, and they say, uh, Christians get divorced just as much as non-Christians. Well, the truth of the matter is that People, that might be true that people who say they are Christians get divorced just as much as non-Christians, that's possible. But actually statistics show that Christians who read the Bible regularly and attend church regularly, actually there's a significant difference in the rate of divorce. I read an, an article by an ex-Christian, a guy who grew up in church. He said, writing to the church as a critique, he says, you wonder why the church is declining... You can explain it away all you like. But he says it's obvious. People who are outside the church and they're looking into the church, this is his critique. He says people outside churches see people talking about being like Jesus, but never actually, never ever actually being like him. Listen to what he says. He says, personally, I've never met a Christian, not one, who has rejected materialism as Jesus did. He says, can you name one Christian who does as Christ commands? Bet you can't. I know I can't. Well, actually, again, I think he's overstating his case. Uh, I, I know of several Christians, a number, many Christians, I would say, who I look at how they seem to be living with their finances and I say, wow, that does look like Jesus to me. Praise God for you. Let me say today, friends, I want to encourage you. I do look throughout our congregation, people I know in our church, and I thank God for many people. I look at your life and I say, I think you're shining for Jesus. I think you're shining a light. I think you are different. But I think it is fair enough for us to ask the question as well. Is there any truth in these critiques? Because statistically, it is true that there are an awful, number, awful lot of people who say they are Christians and they go to church 
but actually their lives are very little different. Christians don't stand out a lot in Western society. There aren't a lot of people who are glorifying God for the good works of Christians. There's a little phrase, thank God for the salvos. You hear that? Thank God for the salvos. That's a slogan, which everyone accepts. Love to hear more of that, wouldn't you? Thank God for the Christians. Thank God for the Christians in Narangbar. Thank God for those Christians up there in Carmichael and Creekside. Thank God for them. Thank God for the Christians in Brisbane. Where would we be without them? Look at what they're doing. Look at their lives. They're showing us how to live. Is it our passion in life to become more and more like Jesus? Or is it the only real significant difference which exists between us who are Christians and other people is that we go to church on Sundays for an hour or two. We might even be on a roster. We might even be heavily involved in church programs. Let me say, I don't think you should be satisfied with that. Just attending church and being involved. Because, you know, someone else, your non-Christian friend at work, they're not just going to say to you, wow, you go to church? That's amazing. You mean you tell me you help in a kids program? I'm blown away. Wow, that's amazing. You know what I think they might sometimes say? They might say, wow, you look so normal up until this point. He must have grown up in one of those religious families. If that's all it is. Now, I personally feel the force of this because this, this isn't a, a critique I'm sort of launching out. At. I'm saying this because I feel the, the, the force of this critique because I've grown up in church land very strongly. And I know it's so easy just to play church and do church without really being salt and light and making an impact in people's lives. One of the guys who is helping me a lot is a guy by the name of Jeff Vanderstelt. And my theory, which I think is absolutely right, the way to grow is to be like a leech. Find someone who's ahead of you in your Christian journey and just <laughs> attach yourself onto them and suck them for all they're worth, for all that you can learn from them. This is a guy that I'm leeching on. Uh, I, 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 from, from a distance. <laughs> I'm sure he's grateful it's from a distance. Uh, Jeff Vanderstel, he's written this book, Saturate, uh, Being Disciples of Jesus in, every, in the Everyday Stuff of Life. It's full of stories and principles for how we live as Christians every day. As we go to work, as we raise our families, as we're in the shopping center. What does it look like to be shining as lights for Jesus in a noticeable, impactful way? One story he tells is he goes to a little cafe regularly. And whenever he goes in, all the waitresses see him and they fight to get to his table. Why? Because everyone knows he's the guy that tips better than anyone else. Oh, he's that generous guy. He's got to, get, got to get to his table. One waitress, he got to know her. He'd ask her name and her story and how are you doing. 
one day, she burst into tears. She said, why? He said, what's wrong? What's wrong? She said, you're not just saying that. You mean that. You really want to know about me, don't you? You're different from everyone else just the way you ask about my life. He said, oh, well, that's great. Is there anything else? Is there any other reason why you're not feeling so happy today? And she said, well, actually, if you really want to know, I'm a single mum. My house is falling apart. My kids are running wild, and I just don't know what to do. He says, well, would you mind if we helped you? I, I can bring around four or five of my mates. They're really handy. We can see what we can And she just burst into a, a much bigger flood of tears. She said, why would you do that? Why would you do that? A few months later, she stepped forward to receive communion for the first time. And he said to her, why do you want to take communion today? And she said, you showed me what God's love looks like. And now you've told me what God's love looks like. And I get it. And I want it. That might be what it looks like, hey? People glorifying God because of us. You know, there's really only one way to read the Sermon on the Mount because what you do, you follow through Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus sets the standard of living up here again and again and again. You say, "How how can I live up to this standard of life which Jesus is calling me to? Now, if you're not one of Jesus' people, what you will probably do when you read the Sermon on the Mount is you'll say, this is ridiculous. This standard of living is up here. Forget it. Give me a break. Don't make me feel so guilty and you'll walk away. But if you are one of Jesus' people, your reaction will be different. You'll come to these incredible moral challenges which Jesus throws out there. And you know what you'll do? You won't walk away. You'll just start again. You'll say, how can I do that? Oh, God, I need your help. And so you'll cycle back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know their need of God. Blessed are those who mourn, who know that they haven't got it all together and they need the power of the Holy Spirit. They mourn their sin. And you'll just keep going around in circles. You'll, you'll, you'll cycle back to the beginning and you'll start pushing into obedience again from that place of need of God, reliance on Jesus and on his grace. The real question is not, am I different enough from other people? The real question is, do I want to be different? Am I someone who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness? And really, friends, it doesn't matter if you're different from your colleagues. It doesn't matter if you're nicer than your neighbours. It doesn't matter. You don't compare yourselves to other people because that's what religious people do. Religious people are always trying to compare themselves to other people. And at the end of the day, you don't know other people's hearts. It's not your business. You don't know where they've come from. They may have had a much easier pathway through life than you've had. And you're still sorting out some of the mess because you started way back from them. You don't compare yourself with other people. But what Jesus' people do is we compare ourselves with what we used to be. Am I the same man that I was? 
Am I the same woman that I was? Is my light shining brighter than it once did? John Newton put it this way. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I am not what I was. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. God's grace comes to us exactly where we are. And he invites us into a journey of transformation through the gospel. Jesus has died for us to take away all of our sin. He gives us the Holy Spirit to come in and transform us. And he invites us along this journey, saying yes to Jesus, one little change at a time, so that the Holy Spirit within us can shine out of us. It's not us trying to change ourselves to shine light. It's letting the Holy Spirit in and letting him change us from the inside out and shine his light. So this morning, hear the invitation afresh. Maybe you're not a Christian here today. If you want to experience transformation, if you want to start a new way of life, that's what Jesus is about. And it starts with you saying, I need help. I've failed in the past. I want a new life. Jesus has died for you. And Jesus will give you his Holy Spirit so that he can change you from the inside out. And if you've been on the Christian road for a while, but actually the transformation has stopped for a long time ago and there's not much light shining out of you anywhere, then hear the invitation from Jesus afresh. He wants to come and change us from the inside out and get back on that road of transformation. Jesus wants to release his light to shine out of you. Isn't that good news? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your grace. We confess, Lord, that we are poor spiritually. We are weak spiritually. Lord, we long to shine more brightly for you and to live the way that you're calling us to live. And we confess that in ourselves we have nothing to offer and no ability to make that happen. But Father, we thank you and praise you that Jesus has come for us and that Jesus washes our sins all away. And Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to bring that transformation about. Father, uh, we just want to do our part this morning in taking a step forward. And saying, what's the next step you want me to respond to you in today, Lord? So help us to listen to your voice and help us to respond. So that we might go and shine as a light and cause people to glorify God because of the work that you're doing in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.